Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Stake. Stake. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Big Miss Stake. It's a Buffy podcast, and I'm Melissa. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Aditi. And today we are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 10, Nightmares. Yeah. Sick. You know, speaking of nightmares, uh, this tech situation has been a real nightmare. It's, It's my fault that Mollusk has been haunting us. I have to tell everyone. It's not your fault. It's Mollusk's fault for being a demon. (laughs) It's like saying it's your fault you got mugged rather than a mugger. It's not your fault for walking down South Congress in broad daylight. Not that this is a personal thing that I've experienced. Let's not victim blame. Right. Wow. Austin. Austin, a hotbed of crime. (laughs) If if we are to believe, um, what's that right-wing magazine? The Buglehorn? What? The Battlestar? There's some right-wing magazine, something with a B. Breitbart? Breitbart! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the Buglehorn. Yeah, isn't it always like, these urban cities are hotbeds of crime because a man can marry his dog? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, listen to the Buglehorn, you guys. Don't move to the cities. Yeah, don't don't move to the cities. Also, don't get a gym membership because you feel like you would be in danger running around the trails and then get mugged on your way home from the gym. (laughs) Anyway, sorry to say about the tech problems, y'all, but hopefully, much like many other things, we will be leaving it behind in 2020. 2021. Is it cute? I think so. I'm, I'm going to be aspirational and optimistic and say 2021 is potentially cute. I hope that my best friend's TV can be reunited with all the shows that got unpaused. Who who have been your quarantine best friends? Oh my goodness. Well, in absence of being able to form new relationships or anything of substance because we have all been <laughs> reconciled to our domiciles, my quarantine best friends have been the following. Re- my ultimate best friends have been uh, Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs from the podcast You're Wrong About. I love them. Oh, I've just been forgetting Sarah Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We love. (laughs) We do have fun. We do have fun. I would say that the specific yoga instructors on the Peloton app, um, of course, I, a mere plebe, do not have a Peloton, but my darling friend, Kate, who is a listener, hey, Kate, does have a Peloton account and very graciously shared it with me. I would like to thank the, the yoga instructors of Peloton. I would like to thank... Of course, where would I be without my dear knitting YouTube channels? Specifically, um, could never forget them. Unforgettable. Cut this out. I don't want to get the not wrong names. There are a lot of names out there. They will stab you. It will be a knit knit purge. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fiber arc joke for our listeners. I would like to thank all of the people I follow on YouTube who have taught me so much about knitting. I would like to say thank you to those people. And of course, the memes. Those are your slayerettes. And you guys. Of course. Of course. And Tiff and Jacob. 
And Tiff and Jacob. Yes. Thank you, Tiff and Jacob. Tiff and Jacob, if you are listening, you two are our two fans who don't know us in real life, and we do it all for you. (laughs) We appreciate our friends who are legally obligated to support us. Yeah. But really appreciate people who take the time out who don't know these crazy ladies and are listening to us. Yeah, we didn't guilt you into listening, and for that, Mm -hmm. for your continued support that is completely voluntary, we thank you. Yeah. Melissa, who have been your uh, quarantine slayerettes? My quarantine slayerettes, I don't know if we've discussed this on the pod, but I have been on a follicular journey throughout quarantine. (laughs) So my number one, my rock, my support system through these trying times has been Brad Mondo, of course. He has steered me through several bleachings and... (laughs) Brad Mondo guided the male voice of the pod through cutting my hair, and it actually turned out really cute. And unlike Aditi, I don't have a fancy friend who has a Peloton subscription, (laughs) so my other quarantine slayer at best friend has been Anna from Pop Sugar Fitness. I think now is her time. Honestly, I think Anna might have been in a lab scheming to come up with some sort of global plague just you know, to further her career, because it has really worked out in her favor. And then, of course, my two twin sons, Kevin and Demi, of the Gilmore Guys podcast, we have gone on many a long walk together over this turbulent year, and they have really made me happy. So thank you, Kevin and Demi. I love that. I also have to give a major shout out to all of the POC and white ally Ex Bon Appetit cast members who have now gone on to do their own thing. I watch all their shows. I support them. I lapped up that PR scandal like it was goddamn candy, and it fortified me. My other quarantine best friends, of course, are the New York Housewives, the Atlanta Housewives, the Potomac Housewives. Yes. Those are the big three. I would really like to thank the Fiber Arts community for really welcoming me and also thank Melissa because at the beginning of quarantine, she told me to get a hobby where I could see the fruits of my labor. And look at us. Look at us. I would like to say also my greatest quarantine friends have been the community of Ireland. (laughs) It started out as a joke and it became real. Wow. You guys, I was talking to Aditi on the phone the other day, and she said, what if we get really big and we have to go to Ireland for the podcast, as though y'all could hear the difference? (laughs) (laughs) Then I shared that with the male voice, and he was like, oh, wow, that would be really cool if y'all recorded in Ireland. Thank you, male voice. He gets me. Honestly, we didn't thank the male voice at all for getting us through this year, and he always was oh, yeah. on And also, I got engaged to him, and that was not even in my highlights. Sorry, male voice. That's number one. <laughs> Whoops. Maybe through the magic of editing, we'll clear this up. Male voice number one, r- retroactively... <laughs> Brad Mondo number two. So yeah, those have been our quarantine cuties. So, from the dreams... To the nightmares, let's get started talking about this episode, Season 1, Episode 10, Nightmares. The world of nightmares and reality become one when everyone in Sunnydale is living out their worst fears. While Xander comes to school in his underwear and Giles is unable to read, 
Buffy must unravel the mystery before reality folds completely into the world of nightmares. Spooky, scary stuff. Shall we slay or nay? Slay or nay. Okay, the first thing I want to say is that Buffy's hair looks great in this episode. Yeah. She's got the braids in the beginning when she's in Dream World, and then she's wearing her hair down more. They've started taking away that proto-beehive thing that they've been making her do. I love it. Yeah, she is looking better. I would say overall, I feel positively about this episode. Pretty much, uh, pretty much slays, but no enthusiastic slays. I will say this episode was confusing more than anything else because Buffy is wearing like a completely normal, reasonable outfit to school. And yet she has chosen to accessorize with a huge ring that is shaped like exactly like a ring pop, but it's like, (laughs) it's an advanced technology where it just sits on her finger and blinks all fucking day, but nobody (laughs) notices and everyone pretends like it's not happening. Was that the first tip off that this isn't right? It was. That was my my inception token. That's how I knew (laughs) that it was a dream. The outfit that she wears throughout the majority of the episode, it's cute, but I loved the powder blue jacket. I thought it was fun. I really didn't like the jacket. I liked the outfit better without it. I thought it added something to make it a little bit more stylish than just, like, a normal school Mm. kid's outfit. So, you know, I thought it was fun. It's hard for me to say this because I love her, but Cordelia got a nay from me. She got a nay! She did. She did. I loved everything except that pink bow that they made her wear around her neck like she was a standard poodle. It looked like a scarf that a magician would juggle. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was like a sheer sort of wispy piece of fabric that serves no purpose except to make you angry. It was neither ornamental nor useful. No. No, 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 no. It was a slave for me despite the magician scarf because I loved her gray flowered shirt and I am obsessed with her fuzzy scrunchie. I thought it was amazing. I loved it. I will concede your point that sans the neck accoutrement, she looked nice. (laughs) I thought that Willow looked great. She was power clashing with that rust red jacket and the polka dot. I I love a power clash. Xandra wasn't power clashing. He's just clashing. So I really liked the outfit Willow wore in the beginning of the episode, where Mm -hmm. it was like a velvet long sleeved shirt. And silver earrings and uh, a choker with silver beads. And I thought that color scheme worked for her really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what she looked like from the waist down. I assume it was terrible. But from the waist (laughs) up, she looked great. Oh my gosh. I have to talk about the two greatest slays of the episode for me, though. What? One, who was this incredibly stylish teacher and her leopard print skirt? Uh, Her name is Miss Tischler, and she teaches active listening. What a scam. And I loved the greaser mom, the mom who looked like she was (laughs) the mother of Danny Zuko and Sons. (laughs) I thought thought she was great. So I agree that the the one-off characters were bearing a lot of the sartorial weight this episode, because I too noted Miss Tischler and her fucking rad leopard print skirt. Mm Mm-hmm. Our bad stoner bitch, Laura, who descends to the basement to be beaten by the ugly man. She has 
a fuzzy bomber, striped pants, an emerald green shirt. I am obsessed. I would love to own that outfit and wear it all the time. It looks both chic and comfortable. Somehow she doesn't look like she murdered Big Bird to wear his skin. And that is what I feel like it would look like if I wore it. But she pulls it off. I love it. The other one that I think did really well, well, did okay, was our spider boy, Wendell. Oh, yeah. I did not love what Wendell was wearing. And I found his hair to be very viscerally off-putting because it it just looked so dense and so full of grease. However, when they go talk to him during lunch, he looked like a young Tony Soprano. And I was kind of into Mm. that. Like the weird like sweater polo shirt looked exactly like something Tony Soprano would wear. Have you seen The Sopranos? Yeah. Well, I haven't finished The Sopranos. So the male voice of the pod gets very uncomfortable because everyone makes bad decisions in it. So I have to wait until he's not around. The male voice is so pure of heart. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I would say fashion was fine. Fashion was fine. Is it cute? For is it cute? So I have the ugly man mm-hmm. and the master, aka C Sweet Baddie. Okay, so you know the master is my favorite. We've already talked at length about him. However, every episode he gives us some new flair. This time <laughs> he had a fistful of white claws. Don't think I didn't notice that manicure. It looked great. I think he also showed us. That very lithe sort of serpentine slither he did around the pole. Like, shockingly agile for someone who is hundreds of years old. I was very impressed. I did not expect that physicality from him. Yeah, and also shockingly agile for someone who is in an executive level. You know, you would think that his days of murdering were beyond him because he has moved up the ladder. But maybe he did that show Boss for a Day. And, you know, where, like, the boss has to go and do the menial labor. Undercover boss. There we go. Undercover (laughs) boss. Boss for a day. I don't know. I don't. (laughs) You said it as though it was real. I believed that it was a real show. (laughs) The confidence. Like, that's what I want to bring into 2020. 2021. Any any point in my life, really. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, maybe he was an undercover boss and had to go murder someone because he, he keeps it tight. Good for him. Yeah. I have not been a big fan of the master, but I have to say in this episode, I found him cute. You found him cute? Why? The nails. Mm-hmm. Especially compared to the ugly man. He was he was cute. The ugly man, I mean, just the name leaves very little to interpretation. Yeah. Not cute, not physically cute, not mm. not personality cute. And also, like, the graphic nature in which he brained bad stoner bitch Laura with his bat arm was honestly really shocking to me. Yeah, that shit was wild. Yeah. I did not expect that either. Yeah. So yeah, I would say for me, Ugly Man, zero for two, C-Sweet Baddie. I would say nails are looking great. Everything else not cute. But personality got a little cute. He did a lot of monologuing in this episode, which really, like, you can see how he rose through the ranks. You can definitely see how he has a lot of ambition and he has a lot of confidence. Also, I just think it's very funny that even the advice he gives is such bullshit management advice. Like, fear's all (laughs) in your mind. 
okay, that's the same as like, I wake up at 5am so that I can use every hour of daylight. Okay. Or like, I wear the same thing five times a day because it frees up so much brain space. Not think about my outfits. Yeah, if only I weren't so consumed with what I was going to wear for the course of my entire day, including the minutes after I got dressed, maybe I could be more productive. (laughs) The only thing that stands between me and being a multimillionaire is avocado toast. Is <laughs> my Calvin Klein's. <laughs> do you think the seaweed baddie would be part of Silicon Valley, or do you think he'd be in a more traditional economy? I always saw a tech CEO in him because mm-hmm. I think he relies a lot on culture. Like, it's not necessarily that he pays well or that they get great bennies. It's that... They have a ping pong table down there and there's a fridge stocked with unholy water or whatever it is that vampires drink. <laughs> that was good. I I think it's it's a big cult of personality down there and that seems very tech to me. I would say that he's definitely we're part of a movement. Yeah. And we're building something great here. In lieu of fairly compensating his employees, he just manipulates them into feeling an emotional need to serve him. Mm, yeah. That feels tech, and I think the same thing happens in nonprofits. Yeah, but I also feel he's got that tech thing down where he's like, sorry about potentially disrupting society, but here's free lunch and dinner. Also, that head-to-toe H2T leather outfit, very <laughs> tech. Also, also, what are his pockets for? What are they for? What does he keep in them? They're for his nail press-ons, for his acrylics. You think those are (laughs) press-ons? No, I shouldn't disrespect the baddie like that. He probably probably gets SNS nails. That's a that's a pretty important observation. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a think piece in there. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. You've heard of TEDx London, TEDx New York, and TEDx Paris, but you're ready for a TED Talks from the underworld, Dead Talks. We believe passionately in the power of ideas to change attitudes, afterlives, and ultimately, hell. TEDx Hellmouth is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from Haiti's premier thought leaders, like boy genius Colin, girl boss Darla, and a very special keynote by the master on The Wonder of Fear. The master's innovative management techniques have been proven to increase minion loyalty by 420-69%, resulting in increased terror, violence, and general waywardness. Be bold. Be fearless. Disrupt your mind with DeadX Hellmouth, now streaming only on Bing. We open in hell. Buffy has map-quested her way to the master's office. (laughs) This is when he does that very lithe body roll up the column like he's a music video ho. I loved it. (laughs) So Buffy is hypnotized by him. She is under his thrall, and we see here why he has managed to rise to sea level. But it turns out it's just a nightmare. 
she's she's not actually entranced by him but it is interesting that they give him this power that a vampire could hypnotize the slayer Mm -hmm. so buffy wakes up we learn her dad is coming to town this is the first time we hear about him aditi what did you think about buffy's dad i was very excited that we get to meet him because as i mentioned before not a lot of information is given seeing that our girl and joyce have you know kind of a complicated mother-daughter relationship obviously exacerbated by the slaying i was excited to meet the dad we will get into the roller coaster of emotions that transpired after but initially was excited so buffy is really excited too she's very nervous and then they get to class and cordelia is rude to poor wendell for standing in her light and willow asks why is she so evita like and this (laughs) friends is possibly uh, the biggest cell phone I have yet to reveal so far. (laughs) Because of this episode, I thought Evita was someone who was rude. Evita was not rude. She was like a very beloved figure in Argentinian politics. And she came from poverty and ended up like marrying an Argentinian political leader. And she was a big fighter for the poor and for women's rights. However, I have always, until doing research for this episode, thought that she was a cruel South American dictator who was married to Hitler. So that's cool. I'm going to need you to back up several steps and explain all of that. <laughs> so this, this, I was like eight or nine years old when I watched this episode. So I associated Evita with someone who was like rude or mean. Later on in this episode, we see a lot of Nazi imagery, swastikas all over the wall, lots of talk about Nazis. Also, when white people say it quickly, Eva Perone sounds a lot like Eva Braun. Oh, Melissa. And also, I knew that a lot of Nazis fled to South America after, you know, all of the the genocide, so I just assumed... That Evita was there, like, bros, come over. Melissa, this is a damning indictment of Texas public education. Oh, boy. You <laughs> thought that Eva Perron was Eva Braun? I did. I sure, oh sure as hell God. did. Wow. <laughs> what did it feel like to have that mystery uh, disentangled? When I thought harder about it, I was like, why would they make a musical about Hitler's wife and why did everyone love it? That's weird. (laughs) When would they have met? Were they friends before the war? Is that why she invited all the Nazis over? Like, the logic breaks down. And yet... (laughs) I love that your baby brain was like, I know enough about history so that I know that a lot of war criminals moved to Argentina. However, not... (laughs) So much that I will know that Hitler's wife famously died the day after they were married. Oh, word? Yeah, dude, they got married, and then he gave her a sleeping pill, and then he shot himself. Wow, that's, well, I mean, I'm beginning to think he was not a great guy. Wow, okay. (laughs) Uh, this is, this, you know, I'm just glad... I'm just glad it was you. <laughs> As a non-chosen person, I feel like that would have been a very bad look. So, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. As a chosen person, it is potentially a worse look. 
We really should get a soundbite that's just like, this is a self-own. Because every <laughs> once in a while, we just reveal truly damning pieces of information. You know what? This is what growth feels like. Growth is not comfortable. No. Also, I think I just always assume that stuff is about Nazis, even when it's mm. maybe not. Because very often, the male voice of the pod references this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which I have never seen but from what I can gather, it's about, like, Christmas and a bank, which, like, why would anyone want to watch it? How am I a better Christian in so many ways? And you have a Christian father. I don't, there's no excuse. Please continue. Anyway, I don't want to watch the Christmas bank movie. And whenever he mentions it, I associate it with Nazis because there's another movie called Life is Beautiful, which is essentially the same title, which is about a family that is put in a concentration camp and they made me watch it in school and I was traumatized. <laughs> so I never want to watch the Christmas Make movie with the same name as the concentration camp movie. My darling. Yes. Wonderful and beautiful are different words. It's the same vibes. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, Jimmy Stewart. She's not watching that movie. <laughs> oh, it's a Jimmy Stewart movie? You know what? I have to I have to check in case I made an ass of myself. Wow, wouldn't want to do that. Wouldn't want to uh to reveal that you have misunderstood something very fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they made you watch Life is Beautiful in school. Yeah, in junior high. That feels so on brand with lazy Texas public e public education teaching. You know what's going to be good instead of teaching children? A movie. We were reading the diary of Anne Frank in school, and they decided a cool movie to accompany it would be Life is Beautiful. That'll be fun. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Can I tell you what movie we watched a lot in my middle school? Hmm. Shrek. You did? Yes. <laughs> Why? We've seen Shrek a lot. A lot. You know, I never watched Shrek in school, but I did watch the first 40 minutes or however long a class period was of Remember the Titans like 300 times. You'll never forget them. Yeah, as far as I know, Remember the Titans is about an integrated football team who just becomes friends and there's no conflict. You nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love learning these stories about you. Thank you. I, uh... <laughs> I'm glad that I could mine this deep, deep cell phone <laughs> for you. No, I'm not going to watch that fake Nazi movie. Okay, look, even if it's not about Nazis, which, I mean, I guess it's not, but, like, why would you watch a Christmas movie about a bank? Because he works at a bank and then, then an angel comes to help him. It's It's got a very lovely story. This is when my... My shameful both Anglophilia and also America of the 1940s and 50s, which is white America, appreciation shows up. Sounds a little Nazi to me. <laughs> In your defense, that was the timeline. Yep. Yes, yep. 40s. Yep. So, so back to school, Buffy sees a small boy lurking outside of the door, and then Wendell's book explodes in a veritable tornado of tarantulas. It was gross. It was gross. And Wendell, like, I hope he got paid because that scene went on for a while and those spiders, like, got in it 
Like, he was probably picking tarantulas out of his hair for a month. And he had a lot of hair, so Mm -hmm. who knows? They probably started a whole life there. (laughs) Tarantula village. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty gross. I also have to be honest with you, I thought that that child was Colin until about 20 minutes before the episode ended. I am so glad that you said that, because much like your white name aphasia, I have... (laughs) white facial blindness and I think all white actors look the same there's only one Chris to me (laughs) (laughs) and I thought that Colin and Billy who are two different small white boys with brown hair and brown eyes were the same person for pretty much all of my life until I was able to Netflix the series through the mail in college. And that's when I realized they were two different people. I, I, I couldn't tell them apart. That little boy, one little boy I think had more like floppy hair. I, 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 it's fine. You know what? If if there was a situation where they were next to each other and it was like a which one do I shoot type deal, 50-50, who knows. <laughs> then the scene moves us to the underworld mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we see see sweet baddie i'm so glad you're on board with him now yeah i i think i think i've accepted sometimes it's just forced repeated interaction <laughs> yeah he wore me down yeah so so he's giving his little monologue uh it's very who moved my cheese a lot of uh external factors should not matter if you fail it's your fault that sort of bullshit. Very, like, est New Worldy shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we go back, and Xander mentions Nazis, just reinforcing the Eva of it all. <laughs> I can't believe I thought she was a cruel dictator of Argentina. I mean, I can't believe you thought she was Hitler's wife. Did you ever bring this up to other fans of Buffy and or your parents? I have never talked about Evita in my life. <laughs> When would that ever come up in conversation with anyone? When you were crying for Argentina, obviously. I was told not to cry for Argentina. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I love it. The crew heads to the library. We find Giles. He's disoriented, visibly, and he tells them to go ask Wendell if anything like this has ever happened before. And we find Wendell. He is very passionate about spiders. Very cute. When I first started using Reddit, I found this subreddit called Our Spider Bros, and it's just people who take pictures of spiders they find around their house and say nice things about them. And it really has changed my opinion on spiders. You know what? They needed good branding. They did. That's great. You would think Charlotte's Web would have done it, but apparently they needed the help from Spider Bros. Spider Bros. Some bro. Some bro. So Wendell is talking about his spider bros. He tells them that his parents ship them off to wilderness camp, which like, is that just where they drop them in the woods? Because it's, I feel like if it was going camping, he would have said that. Wilderness camp sounds like some survivalist nonsense. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like Wendell was giving me real horse girl meets spider boy energy Mm. because... When he corrected our pal saying they're not insects, they're arachnids, I was like, yeah, you care. So do you think he has posters of spiders on his wall in his bedroom? Yes. I think he probably will write his college entrance essay about a magical spider that he had a great relationship with. He's a real Anansi boy. (laughs) 
So we learn our spider boy, his love of spiders is not only in the waking realm, he also loves spiders in his dreams. And he has a recurring nightmare about spiders coming at him to seek revenge on him for letting his brother kill them when his parents abandon him in the woods. These these side characters, man, like, are the children of Sunnydale okay? <laughs> no one in Sunnydale is okay. No one. <laughs> Except for maybe Cordelia, who seems to be handling it fine. She is buoyed by a beauty and popularity not naturally found in nature, therefore is impervious to (laughs) the harm of Sunnydale. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love her. I I think it's very funny watching it as an adult, because if I were a child, I definitely would have been like, I don't like Cordelia. She's not my team. I think, you know, I definitely would have had that feeling about her. But as an adult, I'm like, I love her. She's great. Yeah. I'm really glad that I finally reached that point with Principal Snyder as well, because (laughs) I really enjoyed him last episode. Ugh. (laughs) Not there yet. Dude, like, I'm still still missing my man, Flouty. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Angel, but no, it was Flouty. Oh, Flouty, excuse me. I can never say his name right. Don't even get me started on Angel. Some weird stuff starts happening with Buffy now, where she has to take a test for a class that she's never been to. And time goes by too quickly, and she's never been to class before, and it's like a very stereotypical nightmare situation. And the little boy, not Colin, is there again. So we start to understand that he has something to do with this weird nightmare energy. Then we see our bad stoner bitch who goes to the boiler room. Is she smoking tobacco cigarettes or weed cigarettes? I assumed that she was smoking weed cigarettes. I wouldn't assume that the desire for a cigarette would be so great that you had to sneak off to the boiler room in the middle of school to smoke a cigarette. But honestly, I I did very dumb things in high school, so maybe it was a cigarette. (laughs) I mean, stoner bad bitch Laura can have it all. She can be jonesing for a weed cigarette, a tobacco cigarette, any kind of cigarette, a candy cigarette. That's probably what it was. She was probably trying to go down there to get her sugar on. (laughs) Exactly. So she goes down there to start eating her candy cigarette. And then we meet the ugly man. And uh, as Melissa mentioned earlier, shit, that scene goes from zero to 60 real fucking fast. Yeah, very violent. Maybe the most violent scene we've seen in the show so far. Did not love. Did not love. So then we go to the hospital to visit her in her hospital bed. And in what world is it normal for a librarian and a student to come to her hospital room to question her when she doesn't have a relationship with either of them? And I don't think that she knows that the librarian and the student are friends, but they are clearly there as a team. Yeah, Uh, maybe, maybe bad bitch Laura of any kind of variety. I don't know, maybe she had a missing book. They needed it back. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very particular school. Maybe all those candy cigarettes have done permanent damage to her brain. Smoking kills. This is your brain <laughs> on candy cigarettes. <laughs> Honestly, it was like that. You just came <laughs> in and just this is your brain. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, what a what an iconic PSA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put me off eggs for a while. Did it? No. (laughs) Couldn't eat an egg for a week. Still did a bunch of heroin, though. (laughs) Okay, so, yeah, so he's at the hospital, and then we're back at school, and I really found that scene with the greasers to be very cute. (laughs) 
I I didn't remember this scene, and I have in my notes, who are these Top Gun morons talking about honor fights? Oh, they are living their nightmare, experiencing a mother's love. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Look, good for the mom. She came in looking great. She did. She did her job well. She did. The next scene, though, I have to know all of your thoughts. Walk me through what baby Melissa was thinking, and then walk me through what college age getting the DVDs Melissa was thinking, and then now walk me through what you're feeling now for when we saw a shirtless Xander. Okay, okay. So, baby Melissa was too young to understand the full weight (laughs) of what was happening. And so I was like, oh no, poor Xander. He's so sad. I must protect him. He's cold. He's cold. Maybe he needs a hug. I don't know. (laughs) College age Melissa was getting the DVDs in the mail because she was dating someone who had not seen the show. And when we got to this episode, I was like, oh no, will I have to choose between my current bae and my forever bae? And it was just a very (laughs) stressful situation. You know, you can't hurt the fragile male ego. You gotta play it cool. Adult Mm -hmm. Melissa... (laughs) is unburdened by any of those anchors. (laughs) I do wish that they had put him, instead of in like plain white boxers, I wish they had done something a little bit more cartoonish to really drive it home. Like I wish they had little hearts on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Adding some sort of embarrassing pattern on them was a real missed opportunity. Xander looks great. Yeah, I... I I am brave enough to say that he looked good. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. And more importantly, good for you. Thank you. This was a a wonderful moment for me. (laughs) Thank you for walking us through it. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go back to the library and it's clear that something is awry with Giles and it's concerning. And I think around here is when I was like, what's, what's happening? (laughs) I don't know. Something seems out of the ordinary here. Yeah. I was like, what's happening? Is Colin astral projecting? Is that Colin? I'm so confused. Yeah, it is a very confusing episode if you don't realize that Billy and Colin are two separate children. (laughs) If you just do more than the bare minimum of assuming it's the same child. I watched this episode many times and always thought it was the same child. They could have, like, at least made him... They could have made him blonde. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Given him some sort of distinguishing feature. Again, who are the victims in this? The blonde children. Exactly. And in this, such a Nazi-heavy episode, they couldn't have gotten a little (laughs) Aryan baby to show up? To think there hasn't been a white princess in several decades. Hmm? Disney princess. Oh. (laughs) I was like, aren't a lot of them? Almost exclusively, yes. Yeah. Okay, so we are, um... We've just discovered Giles can't read, and even Mm -hmm. in his nightmares, he is a dork. (laughs) We also learn that the first victim of the ugly man is the kid from the nightmare scenarios, and he is number 19 on the Kitty League baseball team. And then we meet the famous Hank. The famous Hank. The only acceptable name for a father on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is when I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. Because this scene was a legit stake through my heart. It made me so sad to see 
And I know that it was obviously a nightmare, but the fear that she has about causing her family pain and being the source of their unhappiness is so relatable and just so sad. And I think that Sarah Michelle Gellar plays it really well, even though, you know, it's a very small little scene, but it was, it was a stake through my heart. Yeah, this was a tough scene to watch and particularly triggering for me because I had a similar experience when I did a free personality test at the Church of Scientology. Tell me everything. Well, obviously it wasn't my dad, but the way that they do it is they make you take a personality test and they split you up from anyone you came in with and then they review the personality test results with you one-on-one and they have someone come out from like the data room. All I can picture from the data room or the data room is just, like, a bunch of, like, accountants calculators that can only do, like, five functions. It So the they give you a test, and the test is, like, a hundred yes-no questions, but the test is set up in such a way that you have to fail it, because the questions are, like, have you ever been angry at someone? And you have to answer yes or no, so of course you answer yes. So they they run the test through their Thetan calculators or whatever, and <laughs> and the the results come back and they show you a graph and there is a line on the graph that represents an ideal personality and of course your personality line is far below that normal baseline ideal personality. So for me at least, they had this guy come out who. He he was very um like like he answered a casting call for like a wholesome all American guy actually very Aryan he was blonde and white and he came out in like a suit and he was like armed with data and he looked professional and he sat down in front of me and he was like so according to your personality test. Everyone who you think is your friend actually hates you and they're just humoring you. Nobody loves you. You have no reason to live. Jesus. And like, no one has ever said those things to me before to my face like that. Thank God. And, you know, and he had a graph and he was like, these are the numbers that show you are a failure as a person. Oh my God. Like, only, like, this is why Scientology is, like, clearly so popular in America. Because everyone's like, well, the, the math makes sense. Math checks out. Jesus Christ. But yeah, I so now when I watch this scene, I get flashbacks of of this guy and he was like, you know, he he literally told me nobody loves you and then he offered me a piece of gum. Sounds a little traumatic. This was like 10 years ago and I'm still a little salty. I did not accept the gum. <laughs> My favorite little tidbit of this story is that your your current beau at the time not your forever beau obviously which is Buffy uh <laughs> like went before you and then like while crying was like okay your turn oh yeah they they <laughs> split us up I went in with the guy I was dating who I was getting all of these mail order Buffy DVDs for by the way and they did his results first, and he came back with tears in his eyes and was like, okay, you go now. Not like, okay, we should probably leave. <laughs> that is honestly the cherry on top of that shit Sunday. Oh my god. <laughs> I guess the moral learned there is don't date someone who hasn't seen Buffy. Don't date someone who hasn't seen Buffy. Don't join Scientology. 
Buffy's dad is probably a Scientologist. Mm, they do live in California. Mm-hmm. Very suspicious of Hank. He's no Hank Hill. He's no Hank Hill. That is dishonorable behavior. <laughs> that guy ain't right. <laughs> so yeah, so we see the dad commit some not great parenting. And then you realize, oh, this isn't real. Yeah, we realize that we are living our nightmares because Billy the Coma Kid has used his astral body to bring nightmares to this dimension on accident as just like a little goof. Yeah, I wish they had almost given a little bit more time on why or how or, but okay. Yeah, I I feel like this episode suffers from some pacing issues as well, much like the previous one, because we don't really understand how this is happening. But I think the nightmares that we experience are so good that I am willing to forgive it. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, not my favorite episode, but it had enough, like, emotional investment from the different characters that it made me interested. So, I yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, so we realize that the nightmares are coming true, and then we see our poor sweet Cordelia's worst nightmare of having her hair crimped to oblivion and joining chess club, which uh, was, you know, some comedic relief after Hank breaking our hearts. Yeah, but I mean... Like we said earlier, Cordelia is the only one in this town with nothing to fear. Like, of course, her nightmare is silly and frivolous because her life is perfect. I love her. (laughs) I love her. I think that uh, if I were to watch this, uh, if I I were telling a young person to watch this, I would tell them to emulate Willow and Cordelia. Cordelia for the boundless self-confidence and Willow for the smarts and the friendship loyalties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, We start following the other Slayerettes in their dreams now. Xander is in a hallway covered in swastikas. Real Evita vibes in here. Does Xander have a fear of Nazis beyond the, like, American fear of Nazis because we're taught World War II really extensively? I think that Xander's role in the show is is to be a basic bitch. In this episode, his fears are, like, the generic Captain America, Nazis are the ultimate evil fear. And also the generic, sure, everyone's afraid of clowns, whatever, fear, where you don't need any backstory to be on board with him being afraid of those things without wondering why. Right, 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 right. And and we see Willow, her stage fright from last episode is back. She is dressed as Cho-Cho-san from Madam Butterfly. This was also an interesting learning experience for me in a typical self-owned fashion. (laughs) I was very into Weezer as a youth, big Weezer head. There is an album called Pinkerton, and on that album, there's a song that has a lyric, listening to Cho-Cho-san fall in love all over again. Cho-Cho-san's husband is in Madam Butterfly is named Pinkerton. I always thought Pinkerton was like the detective league. That's what they, they named the album after. No, it is Madam Butterfly. Rivers Cuomo went to Harvard, so you know, he's he's uh, allegedly smart. He went to Harvard? Rivers sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, like, everything about Weezer is so easily, provably false. Like, say it ain't so, Melissa. Y'all are a bunch of nerds in a garage. You went to Harvard, and also you're like a 50-year-old man now. Stop singing about how you'll never grow up and fit in. <laughs> Nobody likes you when you're 23. 
<laughs> yeah, see? True icons. They grew up to be UFO truthers. What did Rivers Cuomo do? Really? Wow, you know so much about, I don't even want to say celebrities, I guess musicians from the 90s? <laughs> A certain slice of 90s pop culture, yes. This is, this is amazing. Okay, so, so we go back to Buffy and Billy in a graveyard, and the master pops up just doing a casual lean against a gravestone. Really cool, like, greaser vibes. If he had hair, he would be combing it, maybe with his, his beautifully manicured press-on claws. Oh, he would actually be tousling his hair with his claws. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would like to have a master origin story. Yeah, I would too. Maybe in his younger days he did have hair. Mm, a good point. Buffy and the master start having a confrontation, and much like Cordelia's nightmares are frivolous because Buffy has had such a had such a difficult life, uh, she knows more about being afraid, so her nightmares are more formidable. And Xander, being a silly person, has silly person nightmares, and he just has to punch a clown. <laughs> What's interesting is, like, you're right, they do play Xander for laughs because... We have witnessed some uh, complex feelings about his family and, like, his fear of being inadequate. And, like, they could have played those as his fears, his nightmares, but they, you know, went for, for laughs more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that he's the comedy of the show. And I think that translates easily, in my mind at least, to being the heart of the show. And so I think that's why I have such a soft spot for him. Definitely. So after he punches the clown, he and the Slayerettes determine Buffy must be in this brand new cemetery across the street where it's nighttime all the time. We discover that Giles's nightmare is that Buffy has died and he has failed her as a watcher and he has failed as a protector and it is a great personal loss and a loss for the world and the fight against evil. That was a stake through my heart. Yeah. I thought it was really nice to give him a moment to mourn her because you can see how much he does care about her. And the relationship that they have is very different than the traditional Watcher-Slayer relationship. Right. I think her death is a little bit bigger than even this person he cared about has died. It's that this way of working where you treat each other more as equals has failed. Yeah, and a sense of duty as well for the service that he does for the world. Mm -hmm. And it means that if Buffy is dead, then the evil is greater than he had imagined, and that's really scary for everyone. Yeah. And then Buffy pops out of a grave, and she's a vampire. This episode is nonstop. <laughs> so I have a quote from Sarah Michelle Geller about this scene. She says, I have an irrational fear of cemeteries and being buried alive. I told the producer, look, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Through miscommunication, the message never got relayed, and it was four in the morning, and they basically made me do it, and I was hysterical. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done for my job, ever. Some people find cemeteries a turn-on, some people like sex in cemeteries, not me. I cried the whole way home. It was horrible. It's really hard to be a vampire slayer if you're scared of cemeteries. Poor thing. So watching this scene back, like, knowing that she felt that way is really hard. That does not sound fun. No. So they go wake up Billy, because somehow it is determined that if he wakes up, the nightmares stop. So they go to the hospital, which is all chaos now. The ugly man shows up. Buffy is now able to face him because she has slayer strength and vampire strength. She is a slaypire. Or a vampire? No, slaypire. Slaypire is better. That sounds cool. Yeah. Billy pulls off the ugly man's face, does a, does a little Scooby-Doo, 
Then he wakes up, does a little Wizard of Oz. You were there, you were there. (laughs) Then the Kitty League coach goes to jail within like 24 hours. So I wonder about this police department in Sunnydale because so many people die and they do nothing. And then this guy allegedly beat a kid. There's no evidence except the kid says he did it. How is justice served here? Was there a trial? How does this work? These are these are very important questions. I, I want to know, like, what is the budget of the police department? I want to know if it's actually being spent on salaries or if it's being spent on equipment, because it seems like they need more people out there to stop these crimes in this alternative world where the police do this. I, I, there are so many questions, more questions than answered about justice being served in this instance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, what is their homicide department like? There's, They must be working overtime. Yeah, what is their homicide department like? Because their child protective services department seems to be really on top of it. And yet, and yet everywhere else, it's really slacking. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I would love to, I would love to see some numbers, much like the Scientology guy. Too many thetans, <laughs> maybe not enough. I, I don't know. Their thetan levels are wrong? It's not statistically significant. What do you think? Should we rate this episode? I'm gonna give it low-medium. I really like this episode. I Okay. I love a delve into a dreamscape. I give this episode high stakes. I feel like it... <gasps> it wow! Our first big divergence. Yeah, I love this episode, and... I think we learn more about the characters. We learn more about world history, obviously. <laughs> I, I think it develops all of the characters more. I think it helps to further solidify how formidable the master is as an opponent. Okay. It sets up the fact that, you know, obviously the master is not a normal vampire and he's going to be way tougher when Buffy eventually has to face him, and you can tell that's what they're gearing up for. And I think it advances that plot in a way that we really haven't seen in a while. Okay. A lot of things in this season were set up that really haven't seen any movement for a while. Like, we got all that Angel information, and he just hasn't been around because... That's true. Because there was a talent show. <laughs> I think it's nice to uh, to get back to the main plot. I think my my issues with it, I hear you, and I absolutely concur. I think my issues are the pacing. It was hard for me to wrap my head around what exactly was going on. And yes, some of that is intentional, but I think some of it was just like poor pacing. I, I agree that it does reveal parts of our characters that are that is important to know. But I just, I found the ending kind of unsatisfying. I found the villain kind of unsatisfying. I think that there are parts of it that I enjoyed, but I think as a whole, it does serve to further the season story arc. And I think that is done well, but I think the parts that are not done well, I was not a fan of. That makes sense. Yeah. I I totally see what you're saying where Billy wakes up and then all of a sudden everything is magically back to normal and there's no real resolution. That's a little bit of a letdown. But I just love dreams. <laughs> I love going into dreams and TV. And I think that's something that the show does really well. Like the very first scene of the very first episode is Buffy having a bunch of weird dream stuff. And we're finally getting there. I'm excited to, I mean, 
goodness, we just have two more episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's it. Happy, happy end of 2020, you guys. We yeah. did it. Y'all, we fucking did it. <laughs> Thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart. It's unbelievable that people would listen to what Melissa and I have to say. It's utterly mind-boggling and incredibly touching so uh thank you all and uh when we are all vaccinated i can't wait to kiss all of you yeah honestly this podcast has been one of the most positive experiences of the year and it has been really really fun going through the show with aditi and with all of you oh yeah thanks to melissa as well I was not fishing for a compliment. You don't have to feel <laughs> obligated to compliment me. It's no, I mean, t- like, I've known you for over a decade. And in this time, we have been to three continents, three hospitals. And now we are uh, friends of the pod. <laughs> we really have been to three hospitals, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. One, like, one decade. One decade, two girls, three hospitals. Look, three continents, three hospitals, two girls, one heart. (laughs) One steak. (laughs) Aw, that was sweet. It was. Uh, You guys, also, um, because we love you so much, we we made a bunch of stickers, and we will happily, happily send you a sticker if you want, because we have had so much fun doing this with you. So if you want one... Slide into our DMs. We're on Instagram at Big Mistake Pod and on Twitter also at Big Mistake Pod. And on Gmail. Like Aditi says, every episode. <laughs> so yeah, this this has been really fun and we look forward to continuing to be dumb on the internet with you in 2021. Yes. Cheers to all of us. We made it. Very proud of all of you for just every day getting up and choosing to laugh a little that is admirable yes 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 oh you guys guys okay i'm gonna go home and cry now don't cry for us argentina (laughs) see you in 2021 everybody happy new year happy new year bye bye thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of big mistake If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us at BigMistakePod on Twitter and Instagram, or at BigMistake at gmail.com. That's B-I-G-M-I-S-S-S-T-A-K-E. Catch you at the bronze!